Hello and welcome to another episode of The Trading Desk. My name is Joshua Thanos, and as always, my partner in crime, my buddy, my life partner, Jason Main is here joining me. What's up, Jay? Hey, guys. How are you? Welcome. Hey, Josh. Uh, good to be back, and uh, we'll do a duet this time and not a single uh, solo podcast. I listened to yours oh, yesterday. Yeah. That was, it was good. Did you like it? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I mean, it was okay. It was my first time. I think it was a little... A little odd, even for me, but um, I got some good feedback. So I plan on making two more of those style podcasts, one for like an intermediate style collector and then one for more advanced. So, or, uh, or maybe you can do one of those. That's cool with me either way. Yep. All Sounds right. Good. So let's get right into it. Wrist checks. Uh, J-Bone, what do you have on the wrist? I am wearing, uh, actually has grown to be one of my go-to uh, watches. This is my uh, Grand Seiko SBGX uh, Diver. So 9F movement. This one happens to be, I believe it's the 447, which is a JDM uh, exclusive blue dial with the little yellow second hand. Um, but I actually had a uh, love affair with Grand Seiko, went on a run with a few different models, and this is the only one that stuck and kind of, this is the one that survived uh, the Highlander situation. So uh, this has been pretty much my go-to at least three to four days of the week, which is kind of crazy. Nice. Yeah, I saw that watch when I was up in Philly over the weekend. Pretty cool piece. The very blue dial, like very, very blue. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I would if that would make it to my collection, but I like I like and respect that watch. Um, so my watch also is blue. So today I'm wearing my uh, 42 millimeter Seamaster, the new wave dial. Um, I've been really liking this watch. Uh, I traded out my the 40.5 millimeter that I had for a long time. I had that watch for years. I traded that out um, and uh, ended up missing a Seamaster and then had an opportunity to pick this thing up. And honestly, so when it first came out, um, I thought it was too big. I didn't really like it, especially on the bracelet. It's grown on me. And I mean, if anybody knows me, I've actually lost some weight. So my wrist has gotten smaller. So you would think that I would have an issue with uh, a bigger watch, but I don't know. It just fits nice. Um, the, the upgrade on the clasp, which was something I was looking to do on the 40.5 upgrade to like the sliding clasp. And I just never did it. So it didn't always fit right, you know, um, which this one does. Uh, I, I just love, love the watch. The new wave dial and ceramic is fantastic. The build feels great. Um, I get some comments on it, which I like, I, you know, I can appreciate that. And, uh, I think it'll probably stay in the collection for a while. Nice. Very versatile yeah. watch. Yeah, exactly. I think you like the, uh, the all, was it, there's the black ceramic one. I like, yeah, well, I, I like the, I think the 42 millimeter, uh, upgrade as a recent mm -hmm. is a fantastic version of that watch. Um, and I know a lot of people that have come and gone through several variations of it. So uh, it's definitely very versatile. Um, I like, I happen to like the 43 millimeter ceramic non-date, uh, right, that's version of it, but, um, they're all pretty cool. I, the bracelet, uh, I don't know. I have a love hate with that bracelet and I, I think the watch wears a little bit better on the rubber, but yeah, I know some I mean, people, I think some most people of these watches wear a little better on, on their straps, um, as opposed to a bracelet, but it's, this one's grown on me. I, I, I really like it, and uh, it actually got me thinking about Omega more. I went to my local authorized dealer here in Boca Raton and looked at a bunch of 
um, dark side of the moons and the, the yeah. 44 millimeter automatics. And, uh, I think I might actually end up picking up a, uh, the Apollo eight. Uh, I stopped by a customer's house yesterday who has like an ungodly Rolex collection. He's been collecting for like three years, has like 250, uh, Rolexes, but he said he saw that Apollo eight and just bought it because he really liked it. I saw it again. I know you've been telling me that's the one I should buy. I think that is the one I should buy. Yeah, I think the Apollo 8's hands down, you know, I was telling you, that's that's my favorite side of the moon. Uh, and I think just the thinner case, the manual movement. And mm-hmm. I know you have an affinity for manual wind watches as well. So mm-hmm. there's something about that dial. It just feels like that Apollo 8 was uh, one they put a little extra special love into and didn't quite get the appreciation it should have. And I feel like, you know, certainly in the future – I mean, they're already going up in price, um, but certainly in the future, I think that one could be a hitter. Well, right now, I mean, they're trading for slightly below just a traditional dark side of the moon, which is interesting. Right, but, I mean, I know the retail price is lower. Yeah, so they're um, trading for they're trading for what nine grand now. Yeah, something eight, like nine thousand bucks. So I almost bought an Apollo eight like maybe eighteen months ago, two years ago, for seven, uh, just under seven grand. Like sixty seven hundred or sixty eight hundred bucks, and I decided not to. Um, so you know they're up a tad uh, for sure. Yeah. Well, it's you know that's that's been a topic uh, that you know prices for watches across the board are up. But one thing that people don't mention when they say that is that liquidity is is you know five times what it used to be. So we right. that's a, that's a topic for another show. We could talk about that <laughs> that all day long. Um, but let's let's get into this, man. We have we have some interesting topics today. So my buddy Barrett Lucas, um, who's a customer of mine and a big watch enthusiast, had a uh, an interesting topic suggestion um, for us. So this is exactly what he said, and we kind of altered a little bit. So he said, uh, you know, for twenty to thirty thousand dollars, would you have a multi watch collection or one massive piece? Um, he also asked us to talk about building relationships with authorized dealers and uh, and then connecting with other watch enthusiasts. So. Uh, Barrett, I appreciate you sending in that uh, that suggestion for a topic. So we've altered it a little bit. What we decided is um, we want to talk about uh, making a collection of watches uh, for fifty thousand dollars or one piece for fifty. Right? That's that gives us a little bit more leeway. It gives us uh, you know a little bit more. Um, actually, challenges me a little bit in terms of the one piece because. Uh, and we'll talk about that as well. And then in terms of building relationships with AD, uh, we're going to talk about kind of what that means these days because that that word gets or that phrase gets thrown around a lot. And I think people sometimes are – they misuse that phrase, and I think we can be real about it. And then in terms of connecting with other watch enthusiasts, I think we have a lot of good options that way, and we can kind of talk about that. So let's start with um, our watch collection. So we made it a challenge, right? So uh, the way we looked at it is, all right, so you have $50,000 to spend and, you know, you could be slightly above or slightly below, say 10% either way. So 45 to 55. Um, and uh, we, we put a parameter of you have to have at least three watches, but no more than five watches. So that would be, so how do you spend that money? And then if you now only have to spend or on one watch, so if you're just going to have to pick one watch for that same amount of money, you know, what would be the option there? Um, so, you know, I have my five. Uh, I look through it, and I think there's a million different combinations of this. I think, Jason, you have your five. You want to go first or you want me to? Uh, I mean, we can go – you want to do all five at once or you want to go back and forth? I guess we should have uh, 
figure that out ahead of time. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, you, you, you know what this here, you start talking about yours and I'll tell you why it's a stupid idea to pick those five watches. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, uh, you know, it's really hard to say. Um, I would say that the, the five that I picked, I, so there's some mirroring of my own collection, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the five I picked, I specifically like altered the variants that I would have picked to kind of to round out a five piece collection, if that makes sense. So, uh, for instance, my first uh, my first watch is a watch I love very much, and I own the white dial version, but the two one six five seven zero Explorer two. Uh, mm-hmm. I would in in this instance for a five piece collection pick the black. Um, because it's going to be uh, a little bit more versatile and it's going to be in my five piece collection. It's going to be my only black dial steel, uh, sports watch. So it fills that role very well. I, I feel like uh, it would have been very easy to pick a sub and, you know, call that the, the standard, uh, black sports steel watch. But honestly, I own a non-date sub and I own an Explorer two and I always go for the Explorer two. I just, there's something about that watch that I love. And so for the purpose of, you know, versatility, I picked the black dial as my first watch for this collection. And what price point are you putting that at? Uh, 12 grand. Okay. So 12K, the first 12K is spent on a black Explorer 2 in stainless. I think it makes sense. I went a different route in terms of Rolex, and we'll talk about that once I start talking about my collection. Uh, but that's interesting. Okay. And then so what's number two? Uh, so number two is uh, a piece that I also uh, – very close to my own collection, but um, so I went with a Moser Pioneer. My specific Pioneer would put us out of out of reach for me to pick some other watches. So I went with uh, the standard Pioneer Cosmic Green Center Second um, instead of the uh, collaborative CO2 that I have. It's about half the price and it allows me to pick some other pieces. But I absolutely, hands down, love the Pioneer. Um, having owned one for some time, it's also very versatile. It fits the non-date aspect of what I would have picked with the sub on the on the other piece, but it gives me that simplicity. And I get some, you know, I get an independent, I get some art uh, with the dial, I get something to talk about. It's cool. And it's also versatile in the fact that they make a kudu strap, a rubber, a bracelet. You can go ham on having some versatility there too. And it's also, it wears a little bit bigger than its 42 uh, main plate would suggest. So for me, it kind of fills the role as the bigger watch in what I would pair as my five-piece collection as well. And that one's also about 12K. Uh, yes. Okay. So you got $24,000 right off the bat. You have Black Explorer 2, Rolex, Mainstay, and then you have an independent, a Moser brand that makes like 1,500 watches a year and, and you yep. know, uh, has a lot of horological value. All right. Number three. So number three is going to be uh, a good amount of money. This is going to be kind of my hitter in the collection. Um, and I would spend the money on a 1815 uh, Um So time only 1815. Very versatile. Uh, this would be essentially my dress watch in my collection as well. Uh, for those of you who know me, like dress casual is kind of as dressy as I get nowadays. Um, so this is by far uh, fits the bill. It's a 38 millimeter, kind of wears like a 38.9, I would say. Um, so if you were to put this on, uh, again, versatility is very big here because we're not talking about a 15, 20 piece watch collection. We're talking about five watches, maybe four. Um, so it's versatile. You could throw this on something neutral like a canvas or, a, you know, a, 
I wouldn't go NATO, but like a canvas or a kudu and you get something cool field watch looking, or you can go with the traditional alligator and get something dressy. Um, I'm billing that watch at 19, 19, five, somewhere right around there. Um, you can call it 20 if you want to round it up, but that's my kind of step above for my collection. And, uh, that's number three. What, what metal was that in? Uh, this particular piece, uh, so at 20 grand, it is, uh, it's going to be white gold because it's the 18th. Okay, so a white gold, and which dial? Uh, just white dial, blue Arabic. Uh, okay, so that's like, a, I think it's a special edition. Yeah. The white, the blue. That's a nice watch. I think your your collection, I think, kicks my collection's ass. But, all right, and what's number four? I literally picked these in about 20, 15 to 20 minutes, just so. Oh, man, I spent um, like an entire day going over my... I mean, this is kind of my my wheelhouse too, because this is kind of where mm-hmm. my collection lives at the moment. So, um, so we did the Explorer. We did the uh, so number four is a watch that I'm very excited uh, that I'm I'm probably going to end up trying one for my own collection. So I had to throw it in here, and I again similar to the Explorer two, maybe not the dial color that I would personally buy, but for the purpose of rounding out the collection. Um, so I went with the 41 millimeter IWC chronograph, the new one that just came out um, I in the blue dial. So I happen to love the green, but I picked the cosmic green for the, for the Moser because it's my favorite Moser. Uh, so I think the blue here is going to give us some versatility that we don't have. We have a black dial, white dial, a green dial, now blue. So some versatility there. Again, interchangeable strap system. If you haven't seen it, it's really cool. It's quick release. Um, you can go from the bracelet to a leather to a rubber, all all literally very uh, Vacheron overseas style with literally a click. Um, I put the watch on my wrist recently. I was a little afraid that the 41 millimeter would wear a little tiny because I, I happen to love the 43 millimeter from the previous generation. But I think it, you know, similar to the big pilot, I think it just makes a lot of sense. The 41 millimeters, it's comfortable, it sits well. Um, so yeah, my fourth pick is the, $6,500 retail, um, accessible, you know, you can order it on their website now, or you can go into an AD and find it. So I think $6,500 on a bracelet that's, that comes off interchangeably, uh, with an in-house automatic chronograph makes a lot of sense. And that's, that would be my pick for my fourth watch. Alrighty. And is there a fifth or is that all of them? Uh, so I have a fifth watch uh, just to kind of round out the 50 grand and also my philosophy of like, I always wear a watch every single day for everything and it doesn't matter what it is there's never like oh i'm going to the gym i'm gonna leave my watch off so my fifth pick is just a 200 dollars uh casio pretty much pick whatever you want uh just uh i believe it's the 2100 series um ga 2100 i believe it is uh so just pretty appealing i mean i'm a big g-shock guy to begin with i've i've had and handled and I mean, I've owned probably 60 or 70 G-Shocks over the last 15 years. And there's not much you can say uh, against G-Shock for the money, for something that will just take an absolutely weird amount of abuse. Um, they're pretty they're pretty durable. And for I, have, I actually have one now in my glove box of my, my truck. So like I always leave a G-Shock in my glove box just in case you happen to run out with a baby or something. You're like, damn, I forgot to put a watch on. You always have something. And uh, so... That's 200 bucks, and it kind of just rounds out my the durability aspect of my five-piece collection. 
Nice. I have a Speedmaster in the glove box of my car. <laughs> I, just, I just realized that I, I remember I took it off last time and I put on my panda. I left it in there so I could go grab that watch. I would just say that like as fun as this is, and it is pretty fun to kind of piece together a collection and kind of go against your own biases for what rounds out for the majority of people. Um, you know, cause I would have absolutely, you know, obviously I own similarities of this, but not exacts. Um, but I would challenge the guys listening and, uh, you know, takes, take 15, 20 minutes, play around with the idea and build out your own. Cause it's, it's kind of fun to, uh, to see what you would change from your own bias to maybe for somebody else, like a buddy, if, if a buddy asked you this question. So cool. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll add it to our social media and ask, uh, ask the listeners, uh, when this is released next Tuesday, uh, their, you know, 50 K five watch collection. What does it look like? So, all right. Well, so yours is, you got a, uh, 42 Explorer 2, black dial, a Moser Pioneer in green. Uh, you have 1815 and a – that's not a chrono, right? That's just an 1815. Yeah, no, that's um, the t- time only, 1815. Okay, no, time no only. No up, down, just time only. Okay, time only. All right, and then a 41 IWC chrono and a Casio. So that's – so I'm looking at this, and I think actually I might pick yours over, over what I picked. I, I, you have – I'm much less imaginative. Um, so – Here's my 50k uh, collection. So uh, we did a, we did an episode uh, the week before last about the best Rolex ever made. Um, so that that made it on the list here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're okay. I picked the Sky Dweller. Uh, I picked the two tone Sky Dweller uh, with the um, with the the champagne dial or the gold dial. Um, that's going to come in right around twenty two thousand dollars. The reason why I picked that watch is. Uh, you know, if I feel like every watch collection needs a little bit of flash, right? You need to have that one watch that, you know, if you're going to go out and you want to feel, feel like, you know, you're celebrating your own success, you have that watch out there, right? So like for in my personal collection, it's an AP. That's a watch where if we're, if I'm going out and meeting new people or whatever, I want to make a good impression and uh, I'm going to wear my AP. This watch would essentially make it there. And the only reason why I didn't pick my AP is because yeah, the price range was a little bit too high. Um, you know, the one I'm talking about is is my Titanium Royal Oak Offshore uh, in 42, the discontinued model. Um, that right now is going to run you almost thirty thousand dollars, so it takes up too much of this twenty thousand or fifty thousand dollar price range. But that, if if it wasn't for that, I probably would have picked this watch. So the two tone Sky Dweller. What I like about that watch is for twenty two thousand dollars. Number one, it's almost half the price of a White Dial Daytona. Much more complicated watch. The best watch that Rolex ever made. Um, it's a watch that. I know when I wear it, every time I wear that, that watch, I look at it and just, you know, it impresses me. Um, also, it punches above, it, above its weight class in terms of price point. So it being full gold, a full gold dial with the with the two-tone, it gives off an error of, you know, even though I guess essentially it's, you know, 50%, it's two-tone, right? So it's supposed to be like half and half, I guess. It looks like it's a mostly gold watch. So it gives you, you know, 80% or 75% of the full gold version for you know a fraction of the price point so there's value there the watch is fantastic you can wear that every day you literally that could be a one watch collection if you only had say 20 something thousand dollars to, to spend because you can wear that in every situation it has water resistance it has uh you know a flash um aspect to it you know it's it's a recognizable as a rolex because of that fluted bezel and again i'm in miami a gold dial is going to be something that's that's going to be a uh a mainstay here um, so that's my first pick, and that's coming in around twenty-two thousand dollars. 
Um, so I started, I guess, with the most expensive watch and the rest are, are going to be fillers, but really good watches. So funny enough, uh, you know, you and I didn't really discuss this, but I picked the same Moser, um, that green dial <laughs> pioneer. It's the reason why I knew it was $12,000. Um, I, you know, for the same reasons you said, um, I like that watch and what it does is it, it, in my mind, legitimizes the collection, right? So I'm getting an independent, uh, brand that makes small, a uh, small amount of watches. I love the, the company as a whole, right? I'm, you know, this is what I do. This is my day job. I'm also an entrepreneur. So I always respect business owners and entrepreneurs. Um, so, you know, that's one aspect of one of the reasons why I love Moser itself. Again, I'm also a Panerai guy and, um, I see this more and more that that watch specifically speaks to guys who like Panerai. It has somewhat of a same feel to it um, aesthetically and on the wrist, but it's, you know, it's a, a much more finished movement. Um, engineering's fantastic and the dial finishing is ridiculous, right? And, and it, like you said, switching straps, you can change that watch up every, every which way. I could wear, I can see myself wearing that watch, you know, for an extended period of time. I could put that watch on and wear it for a month and have a bunch of different situations. You can, you can still wear it to the beach, you can wear it out. It's going to be, if you're going to be around guys who other watch guys that you want to, you know, quote unquote impress, or, or you want to, you know, put your best foot forward. It's a great watch. And also, you know, it's a watch that if you're trying to help your friends get into watches, it, uh, it's, it's a beautiful watch, right? I'd say that it's um, undeniably beautiful watch, especially because of those dials. Um, again, $12,000. So, you know, that puts me at about 34,000 bucks for the first two watches. Um, and uh, so the rest of the watches, the next watch is a watch actually that I, that I do own. And <laughs> it's funny. I look at my, at my watch box and it basically mirrors what we're looking at right here. I have, you know, one, basically one big flashy watch and the rest are going to be steel sport watches across the board from different manufacturers. Um, so the 42 millimeter Seamaster, uh, either blue or black, um, I would pick either of them. Um, have the bracelet and a, and a strap so you can swap them. It's easy to do so. That's a great everyday watch. It's a good travel watch. It's not quite as flashy. If I go to the beach, I can wear that watch. If I go fishing, I can wear that watch. Um, if I'm traveling, I can wear that watch. It's not a watch that I'm worried about. Someone's going to see it and maybe try to cut my arm off for it. Or, um, you know, it's it's very robust too. So uh, because I didn't pick a Submariner or a traditional steel sport watch from Rolex, I would pick the Omega, which I believe is value for dollars for sure. And um, that watch is going to come around 4500 bucks. Right. And uh, yeah. so the last two, uh, another watch that I own in my collection, the best painter I ever made, the Pam 233. <laughs> it's a GMT. So that's my second GMT in my collection. But this is a more accessible GM, uh, you know, GMT watch. It's not going to be a watch that, again, I'm going to have to, I, when I want to tune it down, when I don't want to be as flashy, I can wear that watch. Um, tremendous value, in my opinion. Um, in house, uh, eight day movement, uh, linear power reserve, beautiful dial. Fits fantastic on my wrist. I have about a seven inch wrist, I have a flat wrist. And even though it's a 44, even though it's a 1950s um, uh, Luminor, which is going to look big on the wrist, it doesn't feel big. And that's one of the big things I like with certain Panerais. When I pick a Panerai, I want one that looks big on the wrist, but doesn't feel big. Um, well balanced. It has the iconic crown guard. It's, it is the high end steel sport watch, in my opinion, right? It's a $12,000 retail, roughly. And, um, you can get it for, you know, right around eight or 9,000 bucks right now. Uh, great watch. And again, that's my everyday. I have 50 different straps for it uh, right now. I have it on a white rubber. Um, you can switch it up. You can put it on a leather strap and, and wear that out too. So again, versatility in that watch, even though it is the watch itself is 
very similar to kind of the other watches that I have, but it's easy to switch it up and make it feel and look different. Um, so Pam 233, <laughs> I'm just basically looking I at my own collection. And then the last, I, uh, so now I have about $2,500 to spend. So if I spend nine grand on the 233, I'm left with about 2,500 bucks, which there are some, there, there, I had a few options here. I could have went with the Grand Seiko, could have went with the Seiko, um, could have went with uh, a, even a Tag Heuer or another Omega or something like that. What I picked was a watch that I would send, would essentially be kind of like my beater watch, the way your, your Casio is. Um, but it's, you know, a little bit higher end in that sense. And that would be an Oris Aquas, the 43 millimeter. Uh, the one that I picked is a, a new sunburst, like aqua dial. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fun watch. You know, I'm not going to be worried about, you know, how I wear that watch. That's this watch is not a versatile watch. It's only going to be sport. Um, it's going to be chunky and, you know, definitely be a beach watch. Definitely be kind of like a, you know, Sunday football watch where I might be jumping around. I might be banging it into something. Um, you know, uh, I love the company Oris. great watch that, you know, if you need service, it's easy to get that done. And, you know, for 2,500 bucks, it might be the best $2,500 watch you can buy. Yeah. I like, I like Oris quite a bit as well. Um, yeah, I, I will say that I am jealous that you were able to fit up a, fit a longa in there. And I didn't really think about a dress watch because I don't wear them, even though I love them. Like I love longa, longa, uh, Datagraph in 39 platinum is my, I guess my grail watch right now, which is raising in price, rising in price per day, uh, yeah. upsettingly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I was, my, my collection is definitely less, uh, eclectic than yours. I would say more mainstream, I guess, in a sense. Um, yeah, so I, I, uh, I guess just kind of try to approach it with like, um, versatility and, and kind of, the stuff that I think is cool, but then like tweak it a little bit to what fits better mm -hmm. for this conversation. But it's funny that like this conversation is both exactly right up our alleys, but also very hard because you, you do this for like, we've been doing this, you know, I've been doing this 15 years. You've been doing it, what, more than 10, right? Almost so 10, like, yeah. so at this point, it's like as bad as this sounds and I don't want to sound like the over, but like, it's really oh. hard to, to pick just. 50 grand. Like when you look yeah. at your own collection and you almost don't even realize how much money you have in these things, but you start to think I like, cheap. Well, I know exactly yeah. how, much, I, how much I have in watches. I can't do that because I drive myself crazy, but I start to think, well, like, well, this fits and that fits, but it's like, well, no, if you put those two together, like you're done and you're like, oh, well now I got to rethink it. So it is kind of a cool challenge. Um, but it's super fun. I, uh, I just want to say I was listening to your podcast yesterday, driving down the road, screaming, Pam 183, Pam 183, because you were saying that you couldn't remember the reference. Of it's not own. 183. Isn't it? No, what is no, it? No, it's a 380. I, I don't know oh, why, like, I had a weird brain fart. I thought it was the, like, I I know it was that the Black Seal. It is a Black Seal. Oh, it's a It's a both Black Seal. Yeah, uh, it's a 380. I, I, you know why? Because the watch is out for service, so it's like it's not in front of me. I don't know why. Like I've never had a problem recalling that that reference. Yeah. And maybe because I haven't been thinking about Panerai as much lately, I've been kind of studying more of the independent brands, trying to trying to increase my knowledge on a lot of the uh, independents. So uh, I guess they're taking up space. All my, I mean, I used to be the guy I could rattle off every Panerai reference number, and now like yeah. all of a sudden I'll start thinking about a Panerai and just realize, holy crap, I don't know how I forgot yeah. this this reference number. So yeah, that's. That's kind of embarrassing. Obviously, it's a watch I own, but it's out at Panerai for service. So, um, yeah, out of, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Just chalk it up to, yeah, yeah. 
maybe I'll uh, maybe partaking a little bit too much too. <laughs> should take a break on that too. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, it, it, you're right. It is hard. I mean, I have, you know, north of 30 watches in my collection right now. Um, and you know, the, the problem with having that spreadsheet is that, yeah, I look at a few watches. The problem is this. So I have a, I have like a core amount of watches that are going to be between whatever, like, uh, eight and $30,000. Right. So those ones are like prominent. And then I have a bunch of watches that are like between a thousand and five thousand. And then if I think about, oh, I want to buy, say I want to trade them all for a Submariner. It's like, well, I got to trade like six watches plus money for a Submariner. I was like, this is a terrible idea. I just love right. this. I want I like these six watches. Like I I it's this, you know, when you start breaking it down like that, and then like you realize, all right, my, you know, my uh aerospace is only worth, you know, fifteen hundred bucks. But to me, it's worth way more than that, you know? So uh, that, that is tough. All right. So let's not let's, – we're getting off on a tangent. Let's kind of keep things up. We're running right about 30 minutes now. So, so we did our five-watch collection. That's fun. That was tough. Um, so now if now you can only buy one watch. You can only one, own one watch. Everything else has to go out the door. You got to spend 50000 And I, the way I looked at it was forty five to fifty five because, you know, there's some negotiation. It might be tax, whatever it may be. Um, $50,000 on one watch. Uh, I, I kind of told you how I broke it down a little bit beforehand before we started recording. Uh, so I don't know. Did you, have you picked them or you want me to start? Uh, I mean, I picked, I know my current one watch, $50,000. That's like my, uh, you have one? my aspiration. I have one watch that right and now. $50,000. Yeah. It just happens to be the 50, 50 K watch. The one it happens to be a watch that I've, I've been lusting after for three or four months and have to myself in my own head said, fuck it. Should I just sell everything and get this one watch and then slowly oh. back off, back oh, off I think the I know ledge? This watch. Uh, it hasn't it, always been 50 K. It's like, it's become 50 K recently. Uh, or maybe so, I'm about that, a wrong one. All right. So go ahead. Tell, your, <laughs> tell, the, tell the folks your watch. So my one watch is going to be the uh, – so mirrored in my pick for the five watches, uh, sticking with Longe, and this oh. is the 1815 chronograph, uh-huh. uh, white metal, black dial, or or the dark, uh, some people call it. Um, I absolutely adore this watch, and it's, it's really weird for me because I traditionally am not a very chronograph-heavy person, um, but my love for this watch comes from the datagraph which is certainly well above this price range. It and, used to be. Yeah, well, at this point. And I also it appreciate the, the symmetry of the 1850 Chronos dial better than the Datagraph. And I get a watch that, that wears similar in size, has arguably a prettier dial. The movement is fantastic. And I just I feel like this is a watch that I could wear every day without you know any real concern. Um, you know, there are other watches that are in this range that, uh, are certainly really, really nice and you could wear every day, but maybe you'd have to wear them a little softer than I care to wear my watches. And I feel like the long is the bulletproof and I get the chronograph movement. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I wouldn't call it bulletproof. Um, It's not quite as robust as, I mean, well, let's put it this way. I'd rather wear, yeah, well, not, maybe not compared to Rolex, but compared to a Jorn or, or even a, a paddock. I feel like the Longe is, is more of a machine uh, than those two in terms of durability. But okay. there's something about the watch, the the scale on the outside of the, 
the bez it's just very well put together and very refined and pretty um and i particularly like the white metal with dark dial uh so that would be my pick okay i like I, you know i can respect that completely i mean i think you and i both have an appreciation for like the german anger that goes into the <laughs> design elements of those watches and i you know i i love longas um i did put uh, 1815 chrono as a one watch uh you know a one watch uh, collection i guess at, at the 50k that's certainly one of the ones i picked there's a few different dials you can pick from at that price point it's funny because it sucks you know it doesn't suck it is unfortunate for those who didn't purchase in the past like myself that the, the prices are are kind of scaling up um though they are much more liquid and that's again one thing that i i think is lost in all this uh the fact that the prices have gone up so much is that a watch like that, you would buy it even pre-owned it would, and you would sell it and lose 25, 35, 40% of the value because dealers were afraid to stock them. They're, you know, It might take a year or two to sell one of those watches. Whereas now there's so many new buyers in the market and they're much more liquid, but that also you know, comes with a higher price point. You know, this is across the board. So uh, you know, the some of the watches I picked, so I broke it down, right? I said, if you want to have one, I guess, like flashy watch, right? Um, I also broke it down to an upside watch too. So a watch that maybe if you spend 50 grand, there's going to be upside. And, and again, I, I didn't look at it like one watch to buy for life. I looked at it one watch at a time because I, can never, I can't imagine only having one watch for life. So I said, all right, you know, what is a watch that if, if I can only have one watch right now that has to have trade value and all these do essentially all these, every watch at this point, almost, almost every watch has trade value except like DeWitt. Um, which I, I wouldn't recommend anyone buying it to wit. So uh, <laughs> HYT experience with the company. So, um, so they all have trade value, right? So, but if you only can have, only have one watch at a time, the first watch I picked, <laughs> I think Jason under, knows this already is all gold sky dweller with a gold dial. <laughs> uh, it's the flashiest fucking watch you can buy. It's also the best Rolex that they've ever made. It is a Miami watch, but it's also just like a big FU watch, right? You walk into a room with that watch and people either respect you or they hate your guts, but they have, they have some sort of reaction towards you when you wear that watch, right? Um, and, you know, there's, I mean, I, I've seen every different type of collector could, could, could wear that watch, right? Because it, it has horological value from the engineering standpoint, the fact that the, the bezel is integrated into the movement and it, like it doesn't, Rolex people like, oh, they're junk watches. Bullshit. They put a ton of R&D into a lot of their movements. They do what they do just absolutely flawlessly. Um, and so that watch is amazing. So we're talking about a full uh, yellow gold uh, Skydweller, 42 millimeter Skydweller. The reference is a 326938. Um, this is on a, on a gold bracelet with a gold dial. So it's just only gold on your wrist. And it's, it's all in gold. Yeah, I mean, it's the largest all gold Rolex they make, right? Like, I know that they make a Yachtmaster 2 in all gold, but has a white dial with the blue bezel. So, this is the the largest all gold watch you can buy from Rolex. Um, I'm sure I'll get a lot of hate from that, but I, I don't care even a little bit. So, that would be one watch. And there's absolutely liquidity in that watch. It used to trade around 30, now it trades around 50. But uh, if you wear that, and you go out and you get some, you know, negative vibes from people. People either you're hurting their feelings or they, or they're being snobby with you. And you decide, hey, listen, you know what? I need to trade it for something else. You can absolutely do that. And it's only going to cost you a little bit. There's a million guys who want to buy that watch, you know, every day of the week and twice on Sundays. Um, so that would be one of the flashier 
watches that I would buy. Um, if you want something that still has flash but is has much more horological value and historical value and is like a, a handmade, hand-finished watch, I picked the 41, sorry, the 5146-1J. Uh, so this is a Calatrava annual calendar moon phase, um, 39 millimeters. The one I picked is the 1J, which means it's full yellow gold bracelet. Uh, this has like a cream dial. So you have an annual calendar and a moon phase, handmade watch, exhibition case back, um, provenance. Uh, you know, Paddock is the king of handmade watches, right? Like Rolex are not handmade watches, right? They're machine made essentially, right? Maybe hand assembled, hand finished here and there. But right, but Paddock is going to be the, you know, the largest handmade watch company, I guess, right? Like that's, I mean, that's a, that, that would be a fair statement, right? Yeah, I think you just came up with 2022's brand. brand uh... Yeah, I mean, that's a good way to describe them. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with a paddock, and that is like a real paddock. That's not a sport watch. That's not going to be, you know, a, a watch that's supposed to be sporty, but is not, not robust. Yeah. And yeah, it's not a Nautilus or, or, or an Aquanaut or something. You know, that's this is a true paddock, right? Um, 39 millimeters, and you're going to find that right around 50K. Um, here's another watch uh, that's going to be similar in the vein of the first watch, but maybe a little bit, well, depending on how where you're at and how you're looking at it, uh, either flashier or not as flashy, definitely sportier um, than both of those watches. And this would be a 44 millimeter um, Royal Oak offshore rose gold with a ceramic bezel. They make a few different dials, right? Because they've, they've discontinued a few dials and just changed the dial over time here and there. Um, but... Uh, that's a watch you can find right now around $50,000 rubber strap. It's definitely a Miami watch. It's definitely a Vegas watch, maybe like a Monaco watch. It's a, another FU watch. So flashy watch, extremely liquid, um, but not as, so like in that same price point, you can get a steel, um, a steel, uh, just Royal Oak 41, which I think is like a terrible way to spend 50 K right now. You know, if you love the watch, that's fine. But you're not getting much for, for your money, right? You're getting a lot of your you you solid to rose gold case for the same. What's that? Say so you pick up a solid rose gold case for the same price as a steel. Wall. Yeah, that's the point we're making, right? So huge watch, not going to fit on most people's wrists, really doesn't even fit on my wrist. So, you know, you got to be a bigger guy. You might be a guy who spends a lot of time in the gym. You might be an aggressive individual. You might be a guy who gets into arguments with people. Who knows what kind of person is going to be buying that watch and wearing it all the time. Um, but it is, it is 50 K and it certainly is a watch that can be your only watch. Um, and then here's, I have two other watches and these are from like the idea of like an upside, right? So if I'm going to spend 50 K on a watch that, that is, you know, has all the horological value, has all the, the provenance and, and, you know, has merit, but also possibly has some upside in terms of trade value. Um, so maybe you wear it for a year and you sell it for what you paid for it or you sell it for more than what you paid for it. So it doesn't cost you anything or you make money on the watch. So the two I picked were both sport watches from small boutique brands. Um, the first one was the Blue Dial Streamliner Flyback. So I think it's a 42.3 millimeter case. Um, and I mean, it is as unique as it comes, right? If you guys haven't seen this, this is from Moser, um, very small manufacturer. They, you know, I think they've made maybe 50 of these in total, maybe less. Um, it's the new version of the watch. It has the hidden rotor. So the rotor is behind the dial. So when you look at the case back, it looks like a full manual line watch, but it is automatic. I mean, the engineering that goes into that watch is just mind boggling. 
again, it comes from a brand that I love. Like I love the the brand itself. Um, their attitude, the Milan family is, is uh, a force we reckon with within the watch industry. And I feel like they're doing everything right. It's a blue dial, which people like. I don't really care so much, but I do like this blue dial. The fit is fantastic. It's a 42, but it wears almost a little bit smaller. It wears closer to like a 41, in my opinion. The way that the case and bracelet integrate, um, it looks like a flying saucer on your wrist, but not as – it's more – it's less polarizing than I'd say a Debitune that has like I guess that same idea behind it, like space age look. Um, you know, it, it, This almost has like a retro space age look, right? It has like the Ebel. It has the – um, Icopod feel to it. There's, it, it just, it's a tremendous watch. It's not like anything else. And I think at $50,000 right now. So now if we compare this against other steel sport watches from brands that make many more and that are like hyped up, um, you know, it's trading right around its retail price around at that 50. And I think that there's, there's certainly an argument to be made that within the next few years, that's that watch is going to be closer to 70, 80, maybe even a hundred thousand dollars based on what it is, the rarity of it, and the, uh, the the growing demand around the brand. So it, I'd say that it would be a safe bet in terms of upside, even at 50000 which, by the way, is not that easy to find watches that I think have yeah. upside at that price point. That watch is, is phenomenal, especially, I mean, everything, price aside, everything about that watch, uh, just you put that next to a, a Nautilus side-by-side side and no money, no market anything, you know, you don't know anything about the secondary market. I pick that Moser hands down every single time. It's an easy sale against a Nautilus. I mean, you put those next to each other and you say, hey, one of these watches is half the price of the other. And if somebody, you talk, show it to a layman, you say, here's two watches, take a look at them. One of them half, is half the price of the other. No chance anybody ever picks the Moser over the paddock being half the price. And that's really what the case is, right? I mean, it's not fair at this point, seeing as, as a blue Nautilus trades at, you know, $110,000, just just absurd um but uh but yeah i mean realistically well, they have similar yeah. enough similarities to well that's what i'm saying you take take them take the idea of knowing anything monetary out of the secondary right just mm-hmm. apple for apple for what they are it, it's an easy choice but yeah i think so and but i mean do you agree with me that you think that there there's a good that's a good bet that there's upside on that watch you know in the next yeah do you own it I for do. a year or two i i do and i uh specifically i think the uh release of the perpetual calendar uh, mm-hmm. that's coming out is really going to help the streamliner uh, kind of push and people are going to start looking at uh, personally. I think that the chrono is the best version of that watch. The green dragon is, is really, really nice, but for my wrist, it, it just wears a little small. And really? I think the, yeah, I think the chronograph is the perfect size and it kind of, I really wish they would come out with something that was like, uh, you know, just selfishly just for me. Something that's the price of the Green Dragon, but the size of the chronograph. Uh, yeah, but I can see that. Maybe well, we, I think maybe we need like a GM, the gold, the all gold version of that watch, which will be just madness. Um, right. I think that that's what's really going to kick things off. Well, I think it's. I mean, the perpetuals. The perpetual. I had it on my wrist uh, before it went public, and it was pretty awesome. Um, I would say, like, it's their best watch. And their best movement. So it's kind of a, yeah. a no-brainer. I agree. So. Yeah. All right. And then the last watch that I picked just for 50K uh, that that I believe would have some upside and would just be a great watch to own for, again, for me, it's like one to two years, right? It's not going to be a lifetime. 
uh, ownership of the watch, but you can own it, enjoy it, and then possibly make a few bucks when, if and when you decide to sell that watch, um, which would be the 42 millimeter Octosport from Jorn. Um, you know, saying that a Jorn has upside right now is tough because even though we do believe that we, well, it's hard because we keep seeing some of these, um, these auction prices, right? So like a, a bag of Bondage 3 just went for $400,000. That used to be an $85,000 watch. So there still is, well, there still are models from the brand that are kind of skyrocketing. You know, I think the, the, the brand itself has so much merit uh, that, you know, it makes sense that this is happening. But, you know, I've talked about it with, with you. I've talked about it with Manjo's um, and many of my customers. It's kind of an, a strange situation that steel sport watches from the larger brands, the APs, the Rolexes, the Paddocks are bonkers in terms of uh, trading price, right? Those are the watches that people are chasing and paying the most money for, right? Um, but the uh, the ones from the brands that people are like in, the smaller independents that people are chasing, their sport watches are are not getting all this heat, right? So like Moser, the Streamliner is you know trades right around retail. It's nothing crazy. Um, the uh, and and same thing with the sport model Jorns. I mean, I think part of it is that you know his. Uh, the Souverain and the Okta, the traditional cases are just so beautiful that when you look at the sport models, they have the essence of Jorn, but they're not nearly as pretty, right? Um, there's something to be said there. So, but if for about $50,000 right now, you can buy a, um, for about 50,000 bucks, you can buy a, uh, a discontinued Jorn, which Tell me another discontinued model you can buy around that price point, which doesn't exist. So right. I think that there is room for those to go up. They haven't made that many of them. There's maybe a few hundred in existence in that 42 millimeter. This the one I was picking was on a bracelet, um, and you can you can take that bracelet off, put a strap on it, and uh, you know that's a watch that I think in a few years from now, what we're, what we're seeing is that as kind of the celebrities are getting more. Right now, the collectors are are driving the market for Jorn. Um, the celebrities have driven the, the, the market for paddock and for AP. So once celebrities get in and we are already seeing this, uh, with a few guys like sports, professional athletes and, um, uh, like, uh, movie stars and whatnot, who are starting to wear Jorn. Once that happens, like you see somebody wearing an all gold Octa sport in 44, then those watches are going to go bonkers. People are going to start looking for them because there's a lot of merit there. So I think that a 42 millimeter Octa sport, um, at around 50 K does have some upside. I can see that watch, you know, in, in 24 months trading for 60 to $70,000 in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, so I happen to like the 44 millimeter, the titanium a little bit more mm -hmm. just for me personally, but I, there's certainly value in both that I think the 44 titanium somewhere around the, the top of that stretch, like 55 to 60. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's just it's tough. So if you're talking about one watch, um, so some of the counter arguments specifically, like that, I would make is how it, it's a sports watch in its essence, but it's not necessarily the most durable sports watch. So it's yeah. not really like a watch you can just wear hands in, hands out every single day. Um, so in that regard, it might be tough to qualify for the for the one watch for fifty k. But sure. if you're the type of guy that'll that'll that can have one watch and then maybe take that watch off and not wear a watch for the day, if you're gonna go, you know, rock climbing, then <laughs> then by all means, uh, buy a G-Shock too. Then you have a two 
too much. Uh, kind of, kind so of productive. Are we taking our longa? Are we taking our, our 1815 uh, chrono? Rock I mean, on? if if I could haul my butt up rocks, then that might I, I would try it. But I'm not getting I'm not getting up any rocks. I'm just saying for versatility. Even even if we just go with water resistance, uh, you know, it's it's kind of temperamental. But I mean, I'd say uh, it's, if we're comparing it to your choice, like you're making a uh, you're making an argument against your choice there. I guess. I mean, my choice, if, so if we, like, I guess there's two questions here. If one, do you fundamentally agree or disagree with the argument of five versus one? Like if you, you personally, what's your choice? So that's, that's one fundamental question. And then two, I, I don't know that I actually got, what was your one fifty k choice? Cause you listed off like 10, you went on a 10 yeah, watch 50 yeah, K. Any one of those. Any one of those. <laughs> any one? Okay. So you just circumvented the entire conversation. Yeah, so, exactly. All right. So well, I guess so, – Well, I would say this, that um, I don't think it has to be a fundamental thing. I think through the life of a collector – so say you collect watches for 30 years, right? So you go through different phases. Maybe you you collect a bunch of chronographs. Maybe you have 30 watches at one time. Maybe you have five watches at another time. You might come – I've had guys who do that who whittled their collection down to like two, one, two, or three watches and then – got the bug or sold a company or whatever it may be, and then decided to start collecting again and back up to 30 or 40. So I, I can see myself one day, maybe something big happens where like I go a little bit outside my comfort zone and I buy some crazy watch that's very expensive, a $100,000 watch or $200,000 watch. And I, that's the only watch I have for a year or two or five years or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I could see something like that happening and then coming back and then collecting and getting silly with it like the way i am now and buying watches on ebay on a daily basis okay so barring some kind of uh crazy incident you're saying that today as it sits right now obviously you have a ton of watches so i think we all know the answer to this question but do you, right now you think that there's more merit for your life to have the versatility of having multiple watches than one yeah without a doubt there'd be no way i don't like I can't think of of just only having one watch and then only wearing that watch right now and only having that in my house and just having one option. I'm a I'm bipolar with this shit, man. Like I can't I, I absolutely at this point in my life cannot only have one watch. Gotcha. Yeah, I, can't I have think it's done, can't have one watch, can't have one car. I need options. I can't have one hobby. You know, you yeah. know me, I have many hobbies. Uh, you know, I probably have three hobbies that take up 90% of my, of my free time, you know, um, right. I can't, I can't sit still when it comes to this stuff. I mean, I have multiple businesses. This is my day job and I have, you know, four other companies that we run. So right. I'm not the guy would, to have one. Month, yeah, month this month to answer that. yeah. So what? I, I think that there's, I just, I think that there's a, I mean, if you're, so we're what 50 minutes in, if you're still listening to this. And, you know, and you even know who, who, yeah, I mean, one, the off chances that you know who we are and you care about us to stick, stick around in 50 minutes. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess you have multiple watches in your collection. And yeah. I, I don't think I could ever be like, I have personally thought about like, should I do this? Should I just roll tied everything into, but I can't, I can't do it. I need some versatility. And it, even if it's not 20, 30, like, I think I, I mean, personally, I'm at like 10. And for me, that's 10 watches. Like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty refined for me. You know, um, I don't know that I could, 
you know, maybe it gets down just by happenstance, by trading and selling, it gets down to six or seven. But I can't really see having a three-piece watch collection. It's just not me. But Well, my main watch box has 12 spots. Uh, no, sorry, 10 spots. So that's like my main rotation is 10 watches. And then I have another 20 watches in a drawer that I look at every month or so and then decide to throw on a vintage this or sub Seiko this or Grand Seiko that. Um, you know, and we're we're talking about 50,000. I probably have 30 watches that at retail value are probably closer to 100K. Um, but wholesale value, probably around 50 or so. Um, I, you know, I've done, especially what I spent because they've gone up, which is right. crazy, except my Panerai's. All the Panerai's go down. It's not a good investment watch is buying a Panerai. But it's a good investment in my mental health because I love them so much. Um, yeah, I have, to remind, I have to remind myself that this is what we do professionally too. So we have, you know, it's easier. One, you, you, yeah, we have, you know, the in and out for us is easier than some guys that spend six months researching a watch. So, um, all right. So, uh, give me a second here. So, um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's close the, the, the book on, on that topic. I think it was, we, we hit it pretty thorough. I'm sure we, uh, have some people out there who are yelling into their into their speakers saying like you guys are idiots those are the wrong watches there's one watch this one or that one and you feel free to reach out to us um, so the last two little subjects we want to hit in the next like five minutes are um, uh, let's see well, how do we word it exactly so oh yeah building a relationship with an AD and what does that mean and then connecting with other watch enthusiasts so um, if you know who we are you know that our company Watchbox is owned by an authorized dealer of a bunch of different brands called Godbert Jewelers so we kind of get to see both sides of it um and, you know, that phrase, building a relationship with an AD, is thrown around a lot. You know, building a relationship with an AD, I think it comes down to one thing, Jason. What is that? Uh, I'm not going to be the first person to answer this question. By, buying watches. So, like, when they talk about building a relationship, it's really how much have you bought with this business? I mean, that's when – if whatever business you're in, right, your best customer may not be your mo- – might not spend the absolute most with you, but the person does a lot of business with you. That's the point, right. right? So these days, walking into an authorized dealer of Rolex, Paddock, or um, or AP, it's going to be nearly impossible to buy any of their watches as a first-time customer. So it's going to be nearly impossible to, to try to start building a relationship with uh, with the owners or the ADs of that brand. And same thing goes with Jorn now. Same thing goes with uh, Gronefeld, obviously, now. They can't buy those watches uh, you know, from direct from the brand or through authorized dealers. So – um, there are some ways you can do that. You know, if you have a friend that maybe bought, started buying watches back when they were being discounted, um, you know, five, five plus years ago, if you have a friend, then maybe that person could put you on in touch with somebody and, and, you know, you can leverage that person's clout in order to get in with an authorized dealer. But I mean, being friendly with an AD, like, like saying nice things to them, like yeah. trying to be friends with those people, it, it just, it, it's not don't waste your time i'd say you know like uh yeah again I mean, it's, it's, it's nice gross. to be cordial you know yeah. you don't want oh, yeah. to definitely get it you have no yeah, chance you're not gonna get anywhere acting like josh but <laughs> but also like you don't need to be you don't need to be out there kicking kissing ass either yeah like, don't you know, don't people, bring ad's don't bring ad's christmas gifts or coffees or gift certificates like you know it, you know i have customers that are like hey how you been let's go grab a starbucks that's different you know but if you're bringing Dunkin' Donuts and Krispy Kreme and all this stuff to to ADs just to to gain favor. It's you know at the end of the day the mo- the monetary relationship is kind of what 
where the uh, you know line in the sand is, to so to speak. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate, but being where Josh and I are and kind of seeing both sides of it, like I 100% understand from for a, from a collector's perspective, I'm I'm priced out of what's happening in the secondary market, and then I'm yeah. in a u- unique position where because of our positions, it's not even a question of if we can get that watch because employees are just like absolutely not, you know, because we can't even get it to the customers. So how are we going to be the people? You know, that's just it's a it's, there are some I've seen yeah I've seen it happen, but it's not a good look. So well, I mean, I go to my per, my local AD here in Florida in Boca, and I mean, we'll put it this way. I'll be straight up. So I walked into my local AD in 2019 when you could get some of these watches. I asked him for a no-date sub. The lady there told me she would get it in two weeks. I called back in a week reminding her. She said, yeah, not a problem. You should have it next week. I called her back again. She said, sorry, it didn't happen. Uh, you know, just you know, check with me next week. So after like six weeks, um, I reached out to her and she goes, wait, what's your name again? And I knew that was the beginning of the end. Uh, so that was 2019, the summer of 2019, two years ago. And I've had an absolutely horrendous experience with that person, not so much because I couldn't get the watch, but because they essentially lied to me. So that's, I mean, you know, as an authorized, as a, as a, um, a retail worker at one of these ADs, somebody walks in and asks for a new watch, just be honest with me. Like, don't, don't tell me, yeah, 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 I can get it. Just follow up with me just to get me out of your face. And like, now you're lying, which number one is like never good. And you're you know, you're creating a false expectation and you're making it a, a bad name for everybody in the industry. Right. So like people ask me, Hey, can you get me a new Rolex? And I say, well, number one, you know, you'd have to buy it in the store in Philadelphia. So you have to be there. And number two, as a brand new customer, like we don't have any allocation for, for brand new customers. Essentially. We just doesn't, we don't have, them. it doesn't exist. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't ever, create a scenario where you tell somebody, yeah, 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 I'll put you on the list. Call me in two years or some absurd lie like that, you know? Yeah. And I have guys who tell me that they've, they've been told that time. It's, oh, oh yeah, I'm on the list for this watch. And I'm thinking to myself, don't believe the lie, but also, you know, like just well, really just don't believe the lie. Like why, yeah. why would they sell you that watch if you haven't spent a dime with them and they can sell it to one of their, you know, million dollar customers? Why? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's getting, I still hear those stories and it's getting a little easier because I think a lot of people are starting, you know, it's been a few years. So a lot of people, you know, after you're told no a few times, you start to realize what the market is. Um, But, you know, it's still not a fun conversation. Like nobody wants to deal with that, you know, especially, you know, we're the, we're essentially, you know, we're customer service, you know? So that's, that's the heart of it. Building relationships with people and customers and doing repeat business. So, it's really hard to with somebody who's trying to put their foot in the door for the very first time. You have to have that conversation. It's it's never fun. Um, yeah. But I well, do also think remember when you're to buying. Yeah, when you're buying a brand new safe, say if you buy a brand new um, uh, white dial Daytona for thirteen something thousand dollars, basically they're handing you that watch and a check for let's round it down to twenty thousand dollars. Like what other business would do something like this? Right. And I understand they're beholden to the MSRPs. But so that's part of the reason why they have to be very careful, because if that watch, if you buy that watch from them. Right. And then you turn around, and you call a guy, David SW in, in, in Orlando and you flip it and you make now you turn a thirteen thousand dollar watch into whatever, thirty thousand bucks. OK. And then that watch makes it onto the onto the 
onto their website. Rolex monitors these websites as they definitely do, right? We know for a fact they do this. They will send somebody to buy that watch. They'll track down the 80 who sold it and say, hey, look, this was sold through your retail shop uh, four days ago. It's on the, it's on the internet for $40,000 right now from a gray market seller. You lose your Rolex business. And now $10, $20 million worth of businesses down the, down the tubes. Uh-oh, I think I lost Jason. Oh, oh, no, you just turned off your camera. Okay, you're there. All right, great. So um, I don't know what happened here. All right, hold on. Let me, I'm just going to pause this right now. Hey, guys. Uh, so it looks like we had some technical difficulties right at the end of this uh, podcast. Basically, Jason's computer crashed right about the one-hour mark. Luckily, we're able to uh, retain his audio and release this uh, discussion. So uh, if you enjoyed this, go ahead and follow us. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, either on Spotify or uh, uh, the Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, check us out on YouTube at uh, Watchbox Studios. We also have Watchbox Reviews for all of Tim's hands-on reviews. You can follow me personally on Instagram at Mr. Thanos, M-R-T-H-A-N-O-S. Jason is at Evo, E-V-O underscore watches. You can interact with us directly. If you have any questions, concerns, want to buy or sell a watch, just shoot us a message directly through Instagram and we'll get right back to you. So uh, again, thanks for listening, especially if you made it to the end. Uh, if, you've, if you're listening to this right now, you're a champion and we love you. So thank you so much and uh, see you next Tuesday.